0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Happy Chef Uniforms. The perfect style, whatever your recipe. Visit happychef.com to order your free 2018 catalog.
0: Hey, this is Michael Harlan Turkel from the Food Scene on Heritage Radio Network. I've been with the station for over eight years, three hundred and fifty shows, and it is the most consistent thing in my life. Every Tuesday at three, I know to be here in studio, but I also get the the privilege of meeting such amazing people, artists, artisans within the industry, I get to learn a new factoid, a, a new way of life from these wonderful people. And I hope you do, too, by listening and that you donate to our summer drive. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org, slash donate, and click on the beating heart. And we'd even appreciate monthly recurring donations to any show on the network you could designate to the food scene, the speakeasy, and that many more.
2: Hi, I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and 3, our weekly food news roundup. This week's theme is youth. We'll have a report on how migrant children separated from their families at the U.S. border are being housed and fed.
3: Right now, what we're very worried about is just the influx of kids created by this zero-tolerance policy. We'll also look into a program that's ensuring free summer meals for kids are only a text message away. Summer is the hungriest time of year for a kid who may not have that safety net of school meals. We discover a new home economics curriculum.
1: I'm not trying to raise a generation of chefs. I'm trying to raise a generation of nourishers who can nourish themselves.
2: And we meet a teen chef who's talked his way into several of New York's top kitchens.
1: I never try
3: and be, like, annoying about it, but I really want to get my foot in the door. Tune in to this week's episode of Meet and 3, available at HeritageRadioNetwork.org and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Irway. It's a kind of cloudy Sunday here in Brooklyn, and vive la France. They just won the um, World Cup, so um, we're not talking about French food, unfortunately, today, but we are going to be talking about a book that I am so excited about. Um, I actually got to see this author do a reading uh, a few weeks ago when this book just came out. It's a novel, and... Um, you know, it's really fun to talk about food-focused novels on this show. Which, um, whenever I do see them, um, they tend to be really, really good. I mean, food is a great—I I don't want to talk to my uh, this author <laughs> more about that, but you know, they tend to be just really fun reads. And um, this one is a very exciting debut. It's been called a sizzling debut novel by a strikingly new literary talent. It has been featured in best of the season list of The Wall Street Journal, Cosmopolitan, Time, The Millions, Bitch Media, BuzzFeed, and BookBub. And um, so the author I'm chatting with right now is a rising star fiction writer. Her name is Lillian Lee. Hi, Lillian.
2: Hi, Kathy. How are you today?
3: Good, good. Good. Thanks so much for joining us, and congratulations.
2: Thank you, and it's my pleasure.
3: So you're a, you're sort of a young guns here. You um, you I mean you got your B.A. from Princeton and then your M.F.A. from the University of Michigan, which is yep. where you still live, right? Yeah, in, in Ann Arbor. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've gotten some awards here along the way, but this is your first. You know, this is your debut novel, and it um,
2: is. It's, it's my baby. It's a baby.
3: <laughs> I understand. I think I read somewhere that it started as your master's thesis.
2: It did, yes. Um, I basically started this novel my first semester at Michigan and finished it and sold it right at the end of my third fellowship year. So it's really perfect timing, and I feel like timing is never going to be that great again. Mm. Uh, but it was basically just a three years all in Ann Arbor wrote this novel.
3: Mm. Why is that perfect timing? Like, just just because it's you just got fresh out of school... You're, like, going gangbusters, or do you mean it's, it's like...
2: It's perfect timing in mm -hmm. that I basically got to write a novel in a kind of incubator space, and so Mm -hmm. I was never really writing it completely alone in the wilderness. Mm. I had, um, (laughs) you know, my teachers, I had my classmates, and I had just sort of that school structure that, basically told me, here, this is your priority. You're allowed to do this. You better do this. And Mm -hmm. so that got rid of a lot of maybe the insecurities and doubts and other priorities that might have otherwise made this sort of um, journey much lonelier and much more, uh, you know, terrifying. Mm. Um, And so it was just really perfect timing that, you know, I got it you know, finished and out into the world before I had to be out in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm very grateful (laughs) because I'm kind of a scaredy cat. Um, (laughs) Well done. So it's kind of nice to to do it with, you know, like training wheels a little bit.
3: Yeah. Well, what about the other context of the subject matter and also yourself as an Asian-American writer? Do you think there's something right about this cultural moment to be talking about Chinese food or, I don't know, to be an Asian-American fiction writer?
2: I think that, you know, uh, for for whatever reason, there is, you know, so many Asian-American writers uh, who are coming out with books and, you know, really making a name for themselves, Celeste Ng, Kevin Kwan, um, you know, Elaine Castillo, um, and it's, you know, I don't really know why the time is now, because maybe what it's been is that the time has, there's always been Asian-American writers, authors trying to publish, and maybe now the publishing world is finally ready for you know, the, the rush that has kind of always been there. Um, so I think it's maybe more just that the general public is ready rather than that the authors have um, been, you know, finding this moment. Um Hmm. But in terms of, you know, what the the book is about, uh, it's, you know, essentially uh number one Chinese restaurant uh, takes place in a, you know, Peking duck house outside D.C., and it looks at the lives of the people who own the restaurant, the Han family, as well as their longtime employees, and, you know, what happens when one day a tragedy befalls this restaurant and they no longer have the structure that's been imposing meaning and order in their lives for basically three decades. Um And so I think, you know, your question about whether or not this is a time for, you know, interest in Chinese food, um, I'm not sure that, you know, necessarily anybody, at least like from the reactions that I've gotten, it's not like people are like, oh, like now has been the time for a Chinese restaurant Mm -hmm. novel. It's more just like, whoa, like I can't believe there hasn't yet been a novel Mm. written about a Chinese restaurant. And so I've actually been trying to figure out why that is, because, you know, every time I bring up that, that is what the restaurant is about, the interest is always very high, or maybe mm-hmm. rather what I mean to say is that the curiosity is very
3: high. Okay. Yeah.
2: Um, but I'm not quite sure why that – you know what? Maybe the, the number one theory that I do have is that um, – You know, the Chinese restaurant and the people who work in a Chinese restaurant have always occupied a really foreign space and othered space in America, even though, you know, they're kind of everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because of that, you know, feeling of foreignness, that curiosity has always been there. Mm -hmm. You know, what is this? Thing, what is this place? What is this food that is in all of our kind of daily lives in our culture our American culture that we don 't really know, and in some ways that distance is also maybe why the subject has never necessarily been written about mm-hmm. um, as widely because you know it 's you know not ours it 's you know, a thing that we don't understand. But if somebody does, you know, take the time to write about a Chinese restaurant or write about the people who work in a Chinese restaurant, that distance is always what also creates the the kind of high interest.
1: Because, Mm.
2: you know, they're kind of, they've always been maybe, we've always been maybe peeking at the Chinese restaurant, wondering what place it has Mm -hmm. in the American culture. And and now that, you know, I've tried to tackle that question, uh, that the curiosity gets to kind of come out um mm. and be visible, if yeah. that makes
3: sense. Yeah, no, and I love how you your characters are multi generational, they're back at the house, front of the house, mm-hmm. um, advisors, all all this, you know, very, very diverse cast of characters here. And I I was just thinking in food writing we tend to glorify the chef or something mm-hmm. like that. We don't really hear too much about that uh whole kind of family um going on inside a restaurant. Mm-hmm um but but while this is a work of fiction i understand this is based on a real place and you work there the peking so, duck So, um, okay no basically <laughs> um
2: i did work in uh, a chinese restaurant that was you know also served peking duck the summer before i went to grad school so essentially the summer before i wrote the novel um But I would say that, you know, it was not so much that restaurant um, that, you know, made me decide that I wanted to write the novel, but rather, you know, my treatment um, as a Chinese waitress in a Chinese restaurant that made me want to write the novel. So in that sense, you know, the restaurant, the Beijing Duck House, which is the fictional restaurant, in the book um, is not, you know, based off of um, any existing restaurant. Got it. Okay. But, yeah, certainly, like, all of the mm. emotions and I think all of the sort of um, questions that are being asked are the same things that I felt and were wondering during my very brief stint as a waitress.
3: Mm-hmm. So tell me more about how you were treated as a waitress that really opened your eyes to this storyline or... Yeah, ideas. absolutely.
2: So, um, you know, with this specific restaurant, um, you know, it was basically you worked 6 days a week, 12 hours a day. You worked both, you know, lunch and dinner shifts, um, which, you know, I don't really know uh exactly, you know, why that was allowed, but it was, you know, I had never worked in a restaurant before, so I assumed that was normal. Um, so basically, I was spending my entire um, you know week in this space, and after the first week, I realized that you know I kind of forgotten how to have a conversation, um, and in fact, I had gotten so hungry for conversations <laughs> that I would just kind of enjoy the sound of people talking. I wouldn't necessarily register what the customers were saying, but just you know I would kind of linger and and be like, oh, almost nostalgic for that that kind mm. of connection and that ability to have another person look me in the face. And and kind of see me, Um, and I think it took you know a couple more weeks for me to really be able to articulate why I was just feeling so lonely every single day. Um, And you know I think that if uh, if you have you worked in restaurants before, I have. So I feel like part of what makes it bearable is that you have the you know the other waiters and waitresses and staff to kind of like mm-hmm. talk to and complain you know with uh, to get through kind of the physical and emotional labor yeah. that you have to do, um, and because you know I was working uh, with you know coworkers who uh, Chinese was you know their first language and English is mine. Um, we weren't quite able to communicate quite as deeply, and so that while they were supportive and they were very kind to me, I didn't necessarily have that outlet that they had to really be able to you know i think have their kind of personhood and humanity given <laughs> back to them by their by their coworkers yeah uh, it's very and so intimate. it was really mm-hmm. that kind of time where I was just like, oh, man, like, you know, you really need this kind of support network uh, in this restaurant to be able to get through and to feel like a person again. But at the same time, you know, that still is chipping away at, you know, your
3: understanding of yourself. Wow, that's such a, you had an intense, you know, experience. And but yet this is, (laughs) (laughs) this is, I mean, somewhat normal, right? So I mean, do you see this as a referendum on working in restaurants today, or maybe just a celebration of just how intimately entwined you are um, when, when that happens, and your coworkers are like family and um, I don't know that some of that you know really comes through in your characters um, when, um, for instance, uh, Pat and Annie are talking, um, and sort of first flirting, I guess. They're talking about how their parents are they, their lives like revolve around this restaurant. They mm-hmm. exist in this restaurant, mm-hmm. and it's just a it's a thing. Do you think that's it's, it's a good thing or a bad thing or just?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, as is often the case, uh, it's definitely both, um, and it, it is a question of almost like chicken and the egg. You know, is it? which is the question of, like, is it worth it? Because you get these really strong, intense, kind of like out of, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, any sort of normal relationship, you get to build these relationships with the people that you work with. At the same time, you end up neglecting, right, the very people who generally you're supposed to be building those relationships (laughs) with, your family, your spouse, you know, your outside friends. Um, And so I think, you know, what I've been you know thinking about when I was writing this novel and still today is you know what a uh, you know human thing it is not to only want to live but to make a life um, and so that even if you are in a setting where it's you know not necessarily where you'd like to be, you're not necessarily having the time of your life um, you know there's a lot of struggle that even so it is just such human nature to not just like make the best of it but to adapt in a way where that sort of new environment becomes the most comfortable environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, that is such a resilient and um, kind of amazing and magical transformation that happens. And at the same time, you know, you know why why do we have to have that transformation happen? You know, in yeah. the end, it doesn't quite match up to the, you know, outside life, the life outside the restaurant that they, these characters might have been able to have. Um, it's not exactly uh, a perfect copy. It's its own thing. And so, you know, the question is like this, it's, it's precious what Mm -hmm. has been built inside the restaurant, but you know, it would have also been precious, the lives that, you know, these characters would have been able to lead outside the restaurant.
3: Wow, the way you explain now, it's like, yeah. How come there hasn't been a book about a Chinese (laughs) restaurant before? Um, Man, um, let's talk a lot more about this book and um, some of your favorite Chinese food, of course. Of course. (laughs) Right after a quick little commercial interlude.
1: Maybe you're looking for a coat for yourself, or you want a bold look for your staff. You might even need a new style for your restaurant, whether it's modern, industrial, or farm-to-table. Whatever you're looking for, Happy Chef has got you covered. Their wide variety of chef apparel and products are perfect for teams of all sizes and styles. And with the industry's easiest custom embroidery, you can add your logo, name, or fun artwork to many of their other products in minutes. Here's what you do. Visit happyshef.com and choose from their incredible selection. With only a couple clicks, you can customize many of their products to personalize your look. Right now, they're even offering free custom logo setup on all orders over $150, a $95 value totally free. Visit happychef.com now to order your free 2018 catalog featuring new styles and incredible comfort. Happy Chef, the perfect style, whatever your recipe.
3: All right, we're back chatting more with Lillian Lee. She's the author of The Number One Chinese Restaurant, which is uh, a wonderful fictional novel about family, application, competition, betrayal, love, and Chinese food. Um, so we're, we're chatting with her about this book. And how, how else can I describe it? I mean, how have, like, I'm curious from your perspective, um, you know, how you felt along the way about how this book has been Um, pitched and marketed, Um, was there anything that, that, you know, you felt was, you really liked or didn't like so far in this journey of publishing your first book?
2: I think that, you know, I I feel very, very lucky um, about, you know, the publisher that I work with, Henry Holt, the editor that I work with, uh, my agent who I have, you know, the cover that I got, Uh, The marketing that I've gotten. And at the same time, that feeling of extreme luck is something that kind of turns my stomach because, Mm. um, you know, I shouldn't have to feel this lucky to get sensitive treatment, Mm. if that makes sense.
3: Uh,
2: But I remember, (laughs) you know, after I had just sold the book, I was talking to an MFA classmate and she, you know, said, oh, like, are you worried about, you know, are you you worried about the font problem? And I immediately knew what she meant. She meant that kind of like Chinese restaurant, classic stereotypical font. And at the same time, like, I hadn't actually thought about that yet. But I think that moment like crystallized for me this almost sort of like bizarro world universe where I might be stuck with a you know, a book, a cover that had all of the, you know, trappings of what we stereotypically think of uh Chinese restaurants being. <laughs> and so, this entire time that I've been kind of like going through this wonderful publication journey, um, you know, I, I'm also kind of thinking of that parallel journey where everything that I feel very lucky about was not given to me, yeah. um, and what that, how monstrous that would have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: How How about the response so far? Um, are you Are you surprised? Are you excited?
2: Yeah, um I you know, I've been really, really gratified by the response, especially from, you know, the Asian American readers and audience um, that, you know, I've you know been very luckily able to talk to either in person or through email or on you know, social media. Tons. Um You know, that was really the reader that I had in mind um, because, you know, I also write generally just for myself uh, and for, you know, therefore people with my cultural background and references. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to feel like that kind of specificity translated and, you know, people who I I grew up with and, you know, uh, that were also Chinese or Asian-American really resonated with them. And it's been interesting also to see, you know, readers then who aren't from, you know, Mm -hmm. Asian-American backgrounds their response, uh, because I think, you know, at least the way that I have framed it as a writer is that, you know, to write a specific experience is to exclude people uh, from that experience, right? To, to yeah. really write for a specific person, you end up not writing for a swath of other people. And so even the reviews or, like, the responses that are, you know, like, I, I didn't quite get it or I felt uh-huh. a little bit excluded or that's not quite what I was hoping for, um, from from you know, audiences that or readers that aren't um Asian, it, in some ways that is also a sign that I've done something right. Um mm-hmm. and, and i also just think it's that's healthy thinking uh, mm-hmm. as a writer.
3: That's good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're very lucky, you know. We should be very <laughs> lucky. <laughs> I hope you don't have to hear that too much in your journey here. I know you've just just sort of begun and you've done some a lot of tours actually, um, speaking about this book. So you must have <laughs> been um you know collecting a lot of responses so far Mm -hmm. um i'm I'm just curious when you because it sounds like you've been um wanting to be a writer for a long time right Mm -hmm. okay did you ever imagine that you your first debut novel would be about or set in a chinese restaurant
2: Mm. I think that... Like, um,
3: why that? Like, why food? (laughs) Absolutely.
2: I think that I um, am definitely surprised. I think, Mm -hmm. like, the younger version of myself would be. Um, At the same Mm. time, you know, I think that I have always wanted to write about um, Chinese-Americans and Chinese-American communities, um, and, and the Chinese restaurant setting is really perfect in that, you know, um, you get to just assume as the reader that every person who shows up on the page is going to be Chinese or Chinese-American, and and not, you know, sort of what we, we tend to default to, which is, you know, if a character shows up and we don't hear what their race is, we, we assume white, at least, you know, American readers do, and I do as well. Um, and so in some ways, I think this younger version of myself would, would be very kind of like happy about um, how I, I've managed to find this setting that is not only so thematically rich and so character-driven, but mm-hmm. also gives me that license to, to write about my characters without having to identify them by race first. So you get to know them um, by their race, but also just by all the other parts of their identity and what makes them human. Um, so yeah. I, think, I think that's probably what my younger yeah. reaction would be.
3: And it's interesting, you don't, um, you know, some of these uh, very, um, very distinctive sort of references to, I guess, being a Chinese American are, are the way that you address people. There's sometimes Ajak um, or Ame is used, and instead, sometimes they're just called Jack or May. <laughs> so, and you don't stop the narrative to explain that. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, it is a sort of, like, assumed sort of, you know, and, and maybe if you're reading along you and you don't understand why that in term is added to a name, then you, maybe you just have an idea of it. What, what do you take from that, from, for people who haven't heard Ah, uh, you know, Ah uh, May and mm-hmm. so forth before?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, um, in some ways because Chinese is already so, I think, phonetically... Um, Interested, right? That the a lot of what uh, you know the chi- uh, Chinese words tend to be onomatopoeia, and in fact evoke maybe the feeling or the sense that mm. the word actually means, which is what I love so much about you know my language. Um, that kind of awe, it you know you know i'll I'll do the explaining now um it's basically um a way to kind of you know give a brotherly or a sisterly sense to a person right It's just kind of a little like a nickname to be like, "Hey, we're close, I like you mm-hmm. um and in some ways, like ah, oh, Jack, you know that kind of awe that lilt to it already mm-hmm. maybe for me at least evokes that sense of closeness um, mm-hmm. and that that sense of uh familiarity and so I guess what I you know am hoping with is that. For the for the readers who don't get the um, understanding of what that kind of moniker means, that it's still language-wise evoking that feeling that it's supposed to evoke. So mm. you know they'll be feeling something and maybe not knowing why is my sort of like great desire. Cool, <laughs> but and that's what I I, I,
3: I would I would think that would come through too in reading this <laughs> book. So that's cool. Um, yeah. So um, okay. So. There isn't like you know food doesn't play a huge role, I have to say you <laughs> in this book. it's mostly about the human characters um, and it's, but you know it it is obviously a everyday part of the scenery in this book um Are you uh, a foodie do you you know does this does writing about you know the duck and the i don't know lamb chops and uh fried rice cooking like just excite you to some extent?
2: It does. I mean, I, uh, I feel like there there's a word that isn't quite foodie, um, but it basically just means someone who just really loves to eat and okay. doesn't matter, like, what they're eating, but <laughs> I am that person. Um, and so as long as there's, like, just something that I can, like, kind of chew on, I'm, like, pretty happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, when I was writing the so when I was first writing the book, I had, you know, I was very much in the character Jimmy's head. So he's the younger son who has inherited this uh, duck house and is embarrassed, honestly, by the food. And because I was so in his head, you know, when I was writing about those lamb chops, originally in the draft, they were a greasy pile. They were like there was nothing tasty or mm. like evocative about them. And in fact, all of the food that was described was described in those terms. Got but it. it was actually like stomach turning so through his lens. Um, yeah. And luckily, you know, I had uh, my, my editor pull me aside, um, and <laughs> she was like, you know, like, don't you, do you like, like, you know, American Chinese food? And honestly, I do. I, I think uh-huh. it's really tasty. And she's like, it is tasty. Like, it's not necessarily always good for you or, like, made super well, but it's always delicious. Uh-huh. And um, I think that's, you know, something that you have to bring through. And I realized that that was, you know something that was also missing from, Mm. you know, Jimmy's perspective, which Mm -hmm. is that, yes, maybe this food doesn't get the kind of respect that he wants, the kind of dignity that he wants, but it's delicious, and, Mm. you know, it fills people up. um, And that's really how it should be described as well, you know, with um, all, like, you know, the full perspective of what American Chinese food is, which is, you know, in the end, delicious, and I love Mm -hmm. it.
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is really interesting. Um, yeah, there's so many ways to describe food that can evoke you know what a character is thinking, so uh I love hearing about that um did you have to do any research aside from from working at a restaurant for a bit to to write about how the cooks are you know using the walks and anything like that or um so
2: because I could sort of see how the kitchen was set up in that brief time that I was working, and I could see that, like, you know, there were just huge flames that engulfed the walks. Mm -hmm. Even if I didn't know what that was, I knew that that wasn't what I thought a kitchen was supposed to look like. So, you know, thank goodness that Google exists so I could figure out those mechanisms. Mm -hmm. But um, I was also very lucky to have stumbled upon this really amazing New Yorker article by Lauren Hilgers, The Kitchen Network, Mm. which details... Um, you know, essentially the uh, the sort of daily life of a Chinese cook in America, um, and how he sort of travels from New York to Maryland, and you know, just kind of like plugs into whatever ah. you know restaurant Chinese restaurant needs him. And so that was invaluable, I think,
3: um, cool. just to read that. That is really interesting. Yeah, so that that helps inform a very real sort of picture of a Chinese restaurant today in your book. Yeah, yeah, just
2: the, the internal logic mm-hmm. of it, I think, is really important to get on the page.
3: Cool. So, so I guess we're about out of time right now, but um, what do you hope people take away from this book? (laughs) so
2: you know at the very start i think of this journey i um would say things like oh you know i hope that people uh learn um something new about chinese waiters or think differently Mm -hmm. about chinese waiters and then you know after saying that for a while it's like that's not what i want. (laughs) yeah you know like i don't care at all if if they like you can answer this
3: however you feel today yeah yeah (laughs) it's
2: sort of just like i hope that you take away some like you Think about your life differently mm-hmm. you know i don 't want you to think about these Chinese waiters differently because they were always human beings i 'm not trying to prove that they were human <laughs> beings um, but if you weren't ever sure that they were human beings, I hope that, you know, then you take away that preconceived notion, and you wonder why you thought of them as less than human. Mm. Um, So I think that's, you know, the sort of thing that I hope people take away is just, you know, some kind of shifted view or change in how they move through the world and how they think about other people.
3: Mm. Very, very well said. Um, <laughs> turn it around on you first. Um, I yep. love that. <laughs> well, um, Lillian, I really, really enjoy this book. Um, wonderful Thank job. You. Thank you so Thank much. You so much. <laughs> and um, you can catch Lillian at her, you know, lillianleadauthor.com website for any, right? Is that right? Yeah. Um, okay, correct. awesome. For any, you know, tours that she may, or readings that she may do, be doing in your city. And, um, yeah, just check out this new book out from Hen- Henry Holt. So thanks again, Lillian.
2: Thank you, Kathy.
3: All right. Thanks, to everyone, at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words.
2: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you.